As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Before we get into the episode, I have a public service announcement. If you are a fan of this podcast and you want to support the podcast, I have a request. When you guys hear us talk about our different podcast partners who support our podcast, right, and help for the production of everything, please, 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 please use our unique hookup codes. What happens is we will mention different products. For example, the Ritual Multivitamin, which y'all know we love. And I will hear that you guys are using these products, like whether it's in the comments or you'll send DMs or you'll tag us on Instagram or you'll mention it in your reviews. But then when we ask people, like if we follow up and say, oh, hey, like were you able to use the hookup code? Many people don't even realize that they should have used the code. The reason why it's important to use the code is because that shows the advertisers slash partners that this is a worthwhile podcast to invest in and that they're getting the return on the investment in the production of this podcast. So we beg of you, if you want to support the show, please use our codes. If you are going to try any of these products versus just kind of getting them without using the code. If you are like, I don't know where to find the codes, we put them all in one place. So if you're ever confused after an episode, then you just go to our website, foodheaven.com slash hookup. And every week we update them. So even if you're just getting something in general, or you heard us mention something, whatever, six months ago, you can always go there and they're all just there in a big list. So it's a win-win because you guys will save money by using the code. And also the brand realizes it's you know a worthwhile investment to partner with us. So thank you for listening. And we're going to get into the episode. Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast. Your online resource for inclusive and accessible wellness. I just want to give you guys a heads up that there is some light cursing in this episode. So if you have little ones around or you're listening at work, you may want to put in headphones. We just finished recording our interview with Simeon Brown, who's the author of Get Rich or Lie Trying. This has literally been one of my favorite interviews thus far, and it ties perfectly into our burnout series because social media, we did an episode about this as part of the series. It could just be a lot and there's no coincidence there. There's a reason why it can be overwhelming and anxiety inducing. And so we're going all the way in with Simeon today about social media and the influencer economy. Yes, we're so happy. We could have talked to him for like five hours. You know, he's been a writer for forever. He's a reporter and a journalist for Channel 4 News, which should have gave it away. And he's written for like Vice, The Guardian, HuffPost, CNN, The Voice. So I just figured, you know, he was here, but he is 
British and he gives the perspective like not only like the LA perspective on like why social media is very problematic and like all the influencer culture and how it originates kind of in LA. And that's like kind of what sets the tone. And he did a lot of research in LA, but also like more of an international perspective, specifically like looking in the UK, black British culture. Um, So yeah, it, it was just like a great conversation. We cover everything from like scammy influencer culture, like where people are trying to sell you their courses on how to get rich or do a course on how to get rich to things that are a little bit more nuanced, right? Like Black Lives Matter and like the whole Me Too movement and how there has been some exploitation there that isn't really that talked about. Yeah. So before we dive in, we are going to highlight a listener review. This is from 80s Metal Chick. As an RD, I'm very selective about health and wellness podcasts, but this one is truly fantastic. The host covers such a wide range of topics and the information is delivered in a way that's very easy for listeners to digest. They really know how to make learning fun and I apply much of what I learn here in my practice. Thank you both for being so wonderful and taking this time to educate the public. Thank you, 80s Metal Chick, for leaving (laughs) that really thoughtful review. And um, we would really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave us a review on iTunes. You can drop some stars. Some words would be very much appreciated. And yeah, we're just going to hop on in. You covered so much about what's wrong in the world (laughs) in your latest book, (laughs) Get Rich or Lie Trying. I'm wondering, why did you decide to write this book? Were you over like all the stuff that you were seeing on social media? Were you actually just like curious about where these social media trends were coming from? Tell me more about that. I guess I spent a lot of my life as an adult, all of my life as an adult on the internet. But what actually drove me to want to write this book largely was because from the kind of community that I'm from, so your audience, company American, I'm from a part of London, which is quite, I know, you might call it the hood in America. And from my kind of community, there were a lot of young men who suddenly overnight were presenting as super wealthy, affluent, like they were running hedge funds. And when you spoke to them, you said, what do you do? <laughs> At 21 years old, they'll be like, oh, I." I work in the city, I run a bank and all these kind of things. Then as I began to kind of pull the thread, the reality was that they weren't actual kind of CEOs of billion pound companies. They were influencers. And what they were was that they were presenting themselves as financial whiz kids and traders and kind of Wolf of Wall Street type clones to recruit young people to sign up to these super dubious financial kind of products. At the time, it was like Forex kind of platforms, but in these weird kind of products. A lot of these kids now are now doing kind of weird kind of crypto scams and things of this nature. And so what they were, they were making money from basically building audiences and building hype and presenting themselves in one way. But a lot of the behavior that they were engaged with was actually duplicating across different subcultures on the internet, of which there are plenty. And the reality is that the internet and social media has stepped in where the social contract, the promise that is made to a generation that you just work hard, if you just go to university, then you will have, you'll be able to have all the track with the middle-class lives, home ownership, happy life, happy wife, all of these things. But, you know, post-financial crisis, actually, a lot of those trends are shifting. Real wages are down in real terms. Opportunities for graduates kind of diminished, so they certainly weren't offering what they were. And so social media has stepped in as a kind of promised land and it promises that all you have to do is grind and grow your audience and you can make it. 
but what it is rife with is exploitation, dishonesty, and actually we're in an age where kind of bullshit, but it, it permeates from every single realm. And so whereas there is a real kind of Game of Thrones happening in kind of Silicon Valley, and if you look like what supposed talent looks like, like, you know, you kind of Adam Newman, who made all that money on WeWork, or if you look a certain way and you're able to infiltrate that world of VC, and you can play that Game of Thrones that actually does work like a pyramid scheme at times. But if you were just an ordinary guy from the ends in the hood, you have to basically participate in the shadow economy. I guess I was interested in influencer work away from just this idea of what we think of influencers, but actual people engage in digital work because they're just trying to make it. And also just the ideology underneath it all. And so the book tries to do this in a way which isn't academic. It doesn't use jargon. It just tries to find people's stories and look at how, what, what, basically what they tell us. Like maybe, like some of the best journalism that I like, what, how that does it. So that's basically what I set out to do. Yeah. Oh, this would be such a good Netflix special. Oh my God. <laughs> One day. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm like, have they approached you yet? You know what? It's like, because in my day job, I mean, I'm a correspondent, but I'm actually, a few weeks time, I'm going to be commissioner, commissioning actually programs. I've had different conversations with production companies who are interested in the idea. And obviously everybody is just so drawn to scam culture period now. You know? So I've had a few conversations, but I mean, it's like, you know, we'll see what happens. But maybe one day, I mean, if you guys are the audience, then I'll tell them that I need to two people interested in watching it. <laughs> in case you missed it, Lexus has come on as a podcast partner. You heard that right. Lexus, the luxury car brand. I have loved their car since forever. But my favorite thing is that they never stop improving their vehicles. The Lexus RX is the best-selling luxury crossover of all time and the best-selling luxury vehicle every year since it was first introduced. Lexus has never mistaken being ahead with being at the finish line, so they've reimagined every aspect of the RX. The thoroughly redesigned 2023 RX features heart-pounding design, intelligent technology, and courageous performance. Model year 2023 RX has a ton of new features that allow you and your car to work together. It includes the first ever RX 500H F-Sport Performance Hybrid that ups the ante on RX performance. One of my favorite features is that they have a pre-collision system that can slow down the car when it detects a pedestrian in its path, which is such a great safety feature to have in New York City because things are just popping up out of nowhere. This helps to put my mind at ease when backing out of parking lots or driving on a busy street. They also have cloud-based navigation, which helps to provide up-to-date navigation and real-time route information. This is a game-changer for navigating New York City traffic. The reimagined Lexus RX makes it so clear that Lexus has really listened to what drivers want and delivered. Just like the RX, its drivers are people who don't rest on their laws and are always striving to up their game. The Lexus RX is the perfect vehicle for people who want to venture beyond the expected route and never lose their edge. Never lose your edge with the all-new Lexus RX. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. If you're like me, I'm sure that you care about our planet and you want to do what you can to help with climate change. And I know that there are big things we can do and there's also little things that we can do that don't take much of a lift on our individual parts, but they make a difference. One of those simple things that you can do is 
sign up for Aspiration. So Aspiration is a climate-friendly alternative to the big banks. If you get an account with Aspiration and a debit card, it will not only help your wallet, I'll explain how, but it will also help the planet. Aspiration has been hard at work helping people align their money with their values by funding the planting of over 100 million trees. So every time that you swipe your debit card, they are planting a tree on your behalf. And they're actually on their way to funding the planting of over 1 billion trees by 2030. It's no wonder why Forbes, NerdWallet, and The Penny Hoarder all recommend Aspiration for the eco-conscious. I love my Aspiration account because it makes it very simple to do something good for the planet. And by the way, moving $1,000 to an Aspiration Plus account has the same impact as driving six thousand miles less. I also really love how there's no credit check and my personal favorite, no overdraft fees because they get all of us. And with Aspiration, you can pay just what you think is fair, even if that's zero. Make your dollars make a difference. Open an Aspiration account at aspiration.com tree and move your money out of fossil fuels. Help save the planet with your Aspiration debit card. Open your account at aspiration.com tree today. That's T-R-E-E. Again, aspiration.com slash tree. Terms and conditions apply. Aspiration is not a bank. Deposits are FDIC insured up to $2 million per depositor. It's just comes at the right time too, because Wendy and I and just everyone are having so many conversations about this whole like where the culture is headed and it's not looking good and kind of also just like waking up to see what's going on. Cause when we first like got started kind of online or even with our podcast in 2015, the landscape just felt a lot different. It seemed like you maybe had to have some kind of like professional background or like qualification or like you're a journalist, like something to like kind of make it. And then all of a sudden it's like, that is the aspiration. Isn't like having any kind of talent necessarily, not even talent, but like expertise is a better word. It's more just like being likable or whatever. Like, when do you feel like this shift really started to happen where like the kids today is like, that's their dream job as an influencer and like kind of this scammy stuff online? I don't know. I mean, I think we, we've been migrating online for a long time now. The reality is that influencer work and that is different avenues by which we can monetize our lives online, but also make money using the internet. It, it only really became a real thing on platforms like Instagram and Twitch. You know, in the last 10 years, we're talking. Instagram initially didn't even want you to make money on the platform. In many ways, it tried to limit that. Platforms like Twitch, uh, YouTubers, obviously, they've been through a journey in terms of how they monetize and their existence. Ad revenue was a thing, then it diminished, and it's like looking for alternative methods. So I think that in terms of the actual, this moment in time, I think we've always been migrating online. But in terms of the sweet spot by which there seems to be plenty, plenty of avenues to make a clear income, this trend is definitely very, very new. In terms of your point, though, in terms of credibility, I think we're at an age now where all you need to do is basically build hype. And, and that's it. And I think one of the clearest examples of how the influencer economy is working is actually if we kind of put IG baddies to the side and all these kind of people who look like clear-cut influencers, if we look at the way that crypto is working right now in the crypto space, that is entirely a hype-driven economy where it's like you build a community, you tell people it's going to be the next big thing, you splash money in marketing, people invest in the coin, and that literally is what drives the interest in it. 
Bitcoiners don't necessarily even do much or do anything at all in, in cases. And so it's entirely linked to hype and building up an influencer following. So, you know, one of my favorite influencers, and I say favorite, you know, <laughs> ironically, you know, Elon Musk, who is, you know, the pure influencer who effectively knows that by whatever he tweets, he can move the share price of his own company, he can move the share price or the price of a particular crypto coin. He knows that effectively that hype that he's able to create is the difference between a, you know, a profit and a loss. And that is how, I think that that is how this entire ecosystem works. Now. If you can build hype, that is almost the only thing that matters. And I think that's what people buy into now. So the age of maybe me, maybe needing to be a journalist and have those credentials before you move the line and people listen to you. I think I think that I think that's passed now. Although it does, it's not without currency, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of times people don't even know, they don't realize that they're being scammed. <laughs> they don't realize that they are being influenced in that way, especially in wellness, because that's the area that we work in. Like there's just so many products being advertised. There's a lot of multi-level marketing that people don't yeah actually yeah, yeah. realize is a pyramid scheme. And so it would be great to make that connection for our listeners who haven't read the book. How does social media enable literally anyone to deceive people into buying products that are questionable or maybe don't have the value that you are paying for? I mean, I guess what I would say to bring it back to my book is that my argument is largely that social media works by the rules and grammar of a pyramid scheme. And because it works for the rules and grammar of a pyramid scheme, real-life pyramid schemes that were once discredited, maybe in the 90s, have now become regalvanized and have taken various different forms on the internet. I mentioned crypto as one example, but there are numerous forms of, as you say, multi-level marketing schemes or variations of that that are basically thriving on the internet. I would say that for me, what people should be aware of, right, is that in this golden age of bullshit, Social media is basically just about monetizing your audience and your community and doing that by any means necessary. And so the biggest way that people are trying to draw people in is to say, okay, be a part of my community. This is how it, this is how it works. This is how it grows. And I think with MLMs, multi-level marketing programs, in which they're not selling a product, but it's all about the process of recruitment and therefore creating a mirage of a, of a kind of product. I think that this is the thing which is, is, is really thriving, drawing on people's desperation to make it, drawing on people's lack of precarity. And so it, it's that that I was more interested in as opposed to kind of flat tummy teeth, for example, or I'm going to sell you something from Fashion Nova that looks great on one of our IG models, but actually when it turns up to a house, it is a very flimsy article of clothing, although I do touch on that slightly in the book. It's more about the, the ecosystem by which desperate people who feel like they're job prospects and their opportunities in life are very thin, being drawn into all kinds of pyramid schemes and shadow economies because they're just desperate to be a part of the winning team. And how in many cases, there isn't, there isn't actually anything there that is substantial. And I, I think that that is really the, the story of our time, how an, a generation of economic losers feel under pressure to effectively be a winner and be under, feel under pressure to be successful. I'm not sure how old you guys are. I don't know if you guys talked about that on the podcast, but I mean, if, I think if you're certainly a post-millennial generation, a post-millennial and you're born after, I don't know, maybe 85, maybe 88, then the, the pressure to be young and successful and affluent is second to none. And so I think it, it's that, is this climate 
which I think we need to be aware of and we need to scrutinize. And we also need to be aware that a lot of the people who have succeeded and have wealth, actually, it can be linked to fortune, it can be linked to inheritance, it can be linked to just, to just being lucky and all manner of structural things which transcend the individual. And it's not like if you're losing or you're failing in life, not just because you suck and because you're not skilled and because you don't have values, because of a whole number of structural things that actually need our critique and actually need political change. Yeah. Oh, my God. And in terms of how old we are. So, yes, <laughs> we are in that. <laughs> like, I'm 38. Wendy's 36, 35. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys could be any age. If you, if you guys told me you were 21, I'll, I'll be like, okay, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've seen it all. We've been around the block. Okay. So, I am curious about because we talked about multi level marketing. And I am getting to the point where I consider courses on how to courses that help people make money. Does that make sense? Yeah. I consider that multi-level marketing just because it's like you're doing a course telling people you got rich off of doing your course. (laughs) And then you are then (laughs) telling them the quote secrets, which really, if you just look at how they marketed to you, I would imagine those are the secrets on how to do it. And then it's kind of just like this Ponzi scheme and it's everywhere too, because it's not just with like those courses, but even courses on anything about making money, like for example, like a cleaning business or whatever, you know, there's courses on that. And it's like a person is selling that in a face on Facebook. And then you're like, oh, okay, I need this cleaning course, whatever. But then you realize like, okay, they sold this now to like 2000 people and they got lucky with like their cleaning business. And now like these other 2000 people are not probably going to get lucky because now there's so much competition. So, I mean, can you, is that something that like you looked into as well? Like the whole idea of anyone be able to do these courses? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah, yeah. That, that was definitely something I looked into. One of my favorite rituals in the morning is to take my ritual multivitamin. If you've been listening to this pod, you know the drill. We love ritual and have been recommending them and taking them personally for years. It is one of my favorite supplements to recommend because they have very solid quality ingredients. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill the nutrient gaps in the diets of women 18 and over. Their vitamins include nutrients to help maintain brain health, bone health, and blood health, plus provide antioxidant support. What we love about Ritual as dietitians is the research behind their multivitamin. So specifically, they're essential for women 18 plus multivitamin. They took things to the next level by investing in a gold standard for research, which is a university-led clinical trial to study how effective this vitamin actually was. So the results even impressed us. The study found that vitamin D levels increased by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels increased by 41% in 12 weeks. Y'all, that is significant. A published clinical trial providing the effectiveness of a multivitamin is seriously a big deal and a first of its kind commitment in this industry. We also love that Ritual is committed to third-party testing for their vitamins and they use very solid ingredients. I will often pull up their website with clients and look at the different vitamins and kind of the sources and talk about percent daily value and how you don't want vitamins that have too much or too little of the percent daily value of 
different nutrients. You want it to be closer to 100%, which Ritual is one of the few that actually does that. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off for their first three months. Visit ritual.com slash food heaven and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash food heaven. Now back to the episode. I really love that you interviewed such a wide range of people. Like you mentioned that woman who did that Trump University. There was a woman that you interviewed, I think in the UK, where she said that she got plastic surgery to look like an Instagram filter, which yes. I found to be kind of shocking. I mean, it's not really shocking given I mean, that we're living in this world. But I was like, wow, like literally you want to look like a filter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, su- I'm, su- I'm surprised that I'm surprised that you would find that surprising. I mean, there's a I think the the New York Times did a piece recently on, I guess, the BBL Zillian Butler. You guys know what that mm. is, right? I'm sure definitely. Yeah, guys, I live in LA. Like, like, I mean, really? I mean, like, I mean, it's funny, it's funny because every time I do a podcast over here, I'd be like, oh, BBL. And people are like, sorry, what's a BBL? And I'd be like, what do you mean, what's a BBL? But, I can't get I, in the elevator without seeing a BBL <laughs> but I mean, in my building. Like, but I mean, it's like the, the way that the BBL is presented often is just like, oh, it's just a beauty trend. People were like in Kardashian, but it's like, no, no, it's actually a whole means of the way that that particular laborer works in that economy. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's a, yeah. there's the fast fashion elements, the attention element on, on Instagram, monetize, building an audience and looking a certain way and not having a certain currency. So it's like her wanting to look like a filter is about, you know, a lot more than just body dysmorphia, which is a byproduct of that world. But it's literally like this is an economic phenomenon that we're seeing here, this BBL shape. Mm-hmm. It's not just about people wanting to look a certain way because it's cool. It's about people trying to get on and make, make money and seeing their body as a means of doing that. And that raising uncomfortable questions about the nature of that work. So, right. and not even just her, but that entire phenomenon is something that is only going to grow. I mean, once upon a time, mm. you know, Actors in Hollywood always had surgery, right? They always had, they've, they've been tweaking for years, you know, no jobs, you know, doors, whatever. But actors were always kind of like a very particular demographic. When you have a kind of industry now in which there are millions and millions and millions of people participating in the digital economy, even at a, at a very superficial level or low level, where they're trying to grow their following. Now, everybody feels that they need to adopt, change the way they look to participate in that, in that arena. So you're seeing kind of the industrialization, the scaling up of what was before somewhat more niche behavior. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, and, it, and then it has an impact psychologically on everybody else. Because you're seeing this, and this is just normal. Yeah. It's like, actually, let's understand what we're seeing here. And then when you can break that down, then you begin to say, yo, you know, are we, are we cool with this as a modus operandi of life? And I, I don't always think that, you know, behavior is really broken down on that, on that level at times. And certainly in a way yeah. that is both humanizing, but also critical of what are the real drivers. Right. It's depressing. That will be the reason I leave LA. I just got here, but it's just <laughs> like a couple months ago and it's just too much. I love LA though. There's so much, you know, that's not that probably the majority. And I saw a Kevin Hart comedy show like the other day and he was talking about this and just the idea of like, he's like back in the day, like people would have plastic surgery, but it was more like something you weren't like broadcasting or you couldn't really tell versus now like that's the look. The look is like that you had plastic surgery. That's what's in, which is like baffles my mind. And he was just comparing like all the 
the BBLs to like, he said it looks like ants, like <laughs> the body shape. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the jokes. So yeah, I was like, oh, that's so true. Now, I want uh, to talk- I mean, oh, But I mean, I mean, it's interesting that you, sorry, you say that, you know, you want to leave LA, but it's like a big part of what my book is trying to touch upon is that what we're seeing at the moment is it's not just LA. And so we have, we're seeing the kind of Californiaization of the entire world mm-hmm. in which so, many of the, so much of the world now is literally being led by LA in various ways. Now, American cultural hegemony is a big part of the undertones of my book. Certainly when I'm, we talk about America, we talk about California specifically. One, as the kind of creator of the acts that, we, that, we, that we're on, obviously all the, first big, all the big Silicon Valley VC firms are there they're the ones driving it from the finance end and also from the kind of development end. And then obviously you have the heart of influencer culture, actual culture of attention seeking and participation being LA itself. So, you know, you can leave LA if you want to, but you come to London and it's the same trend. You, know, you go to Berlin and similar trends. You go to Amsterdam, the trends are there. So it's like, it's, it's cascading. Okay. So what you're saying is there's no hope. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, hopefully, right. hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you know, <laughs> hopefully there'll be an awakening at some point where the scrutiny is there. And, and you know what? You know, nothing's complete. I think I think that we are in an age of critique as well. But it's just that the, the attention economy is a thriving economy because so much of the other economies are, are in decline. And they're the relationship. Mm. OK, we got to get into Black Lives Matter. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> let's talk about it so you go through this in your book marginalized communities using social media to personally benefit from movements like blm possibly even me too yeah the, i'm just thinking of like the whole johnny depp trial happening right now and not really sure i don't really follow it to be honest but not i know there's like some questions about allegations i don't know we both seen a lot of like the venmo or the cash app and the in the IG profiles. I feel like we're going to ruffle some feathers with this one. (laughs) (laughs) What is the ethics of it all? I mean, when I'm looking at influencer culture, right, I'm looking at lots of different influencer worlds. I mentioned about the IG baddies, I mentioned the crypto bros, but one of the biggest areas of influence is actually in activism. And people have built huge platforms off the back of it. Outrage, you know, building clout from outrage, but also actual legitimate and organic and real and valid and important social movements have been born from social media. But there is an issue with social media. There's a trap inherent in that form of activism. What it does effectively is the platforms, what they want from us is they want us to be on the platform full time, basically creating content and that's it. And awareness then becomes just the social means by which people basically do their activism. Awareness is it. Tweeting is it. Posting a black square is it. That's it. Awareness is it. When actually what real social change is made from is a lot of unglamorous work. It's about coalition building. It's about engaging with people who don't necessarily agree with you. By writing letters, it involves a whole manner of things. It's not just attention and awareness. What is happening is that what the platforms want to do is turn everything solely into content. Beyond that, the platforms themselves don't build communities in the way that we understand community to be. What they do, what they create is audience and celebrity. One individual with people surrounding them and then it propels kind of individual celebrity. And you see that with activism and the problem is that that creates a problem. 
So I guess in my chapter, what I look at, which is called Black Lives Matter, here's my cash app, is about what happens when you introduce that kind of profit clout motive into activism, particularly with Black Lives Matter, but there are other parallels as well with other movements. And so you have a case where people are growing, growing large audiences from outrage. It's not to say that some people are not directly outraged. Some of them are outraged and they do, and they do care. But then obviously they build a platform from it, they see a growth from it, and then suddenly there is an incentive to misrepresent things or, you know, if you look at kind of Jussie Smollett, for example, in that case, there's suddenly an incentive now to misrepresent an event to create outrage. The irony is that with some of the, the cases that I looked at, people kind of feigning injustices so that they could create anger around it and tweets around it and then build their audiences. Like, you know, in America, you don't really need to fake racism. There's enough racism out there to last a long time. Like, you're not running out of racism. You don't need to fake. But for some individuals, it was like constantly needing to, to propel their audience to outrage, to move them. And when I interviewed a kind of very successful merchant in attention, he said, you know, if I can make you angry, if I can create an emotion in you, then I can get you to share my content. And that's what it's all about. And so I think that mechanism was present, but then that mechanism was also subverting uh, movements. And so with BLM and by BLM, there are other movements that developed online. There was a trap by which it just becomes a vehicle for content production. It becomes a, a vehicle for celebrity creation and that caps the ability of it to create real social, social meaning. I think what was interesting right now with the critique that we're, because I wrote, I wrote that chapter about BLM a while ago. Now the critiques of BLM are very striking. So even though I wrote this a while ago, you know, two years ago, now it feels very present and very relevant right on time. It doesn't feel dated because the, the reality is that the inability of that movement or to, I guess, transcend from effectively being a content-based campaign has now begun to create conflict with, with the, the families who are now looking at the, this movement who've now spent $6 million on a mansion that they say, or well, one, one of the things that they said we would do would be, would host influences to create content. Now, content cannot be the outcome of a social movement. It just, it just can't be. There has to be more to it. And so I guess that is what that chapter was about, was, was about how activism can be hijacked, but also how legitimate activists can be hijacked themselves by the platforms and the ambitions of those platforms, which fundamentally is to create content for entertainment. But then what it does is that that can create a very depoliticizing impact. And so, you know, you share a video of a man being murdered by the police. You share that, people watch that, people consume that, and it becomes just gratuitous consumption. And then eventually everything becomes just content, and that's it. And that is really dangerous, and that is really harmful, and that is depoliticizing, and it desensitizes, and, and it limits our political imagination of what how it is that we actually build the coalition that we need to see effective social change. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it just, uh, and I know this is a hot topic, but it's always rubbed me the wrong way. when Because now it's like, literally, I feel like there, there are so many people who share their cash app or their Venmo on their Instagram profiles because they're like, well, I should be compensated for this like work that I'm putting out. And I don't know. I just and, have and, so many. And, 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 the work, and then it's like, okay, look at the work and the work is tweet. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's like, and it's like this. And I'm like, but nobody asked you to do these things. Like you're putting this stuff out with the expectation that you're going to make money from it. But, but it's, in, it's interesting in various ways. It's interesting because it's telling. 
One, it's telling that effectively people see their lives online now as, as labor. And so mm. you're seeing this kind of convergence between our online life as a social space, but also as it being a, a site primarily of work and these things effectively you know, converging. But then it's also telling of, you know, the very clear, I don't know, profit motive of our lives online and in discourse in itself. And that is harmful. Yeah. So in wrapping, how much time a day do you spend on social media? Too much time. That's, that's the answer. Really? I, I, too much time. I think, I think that I I've... I um, say zero. No, no, no. I mean, I've changed. The thing is, so I've changed. I think I've changed the terms. I would say I use Twitter. I used to be on Twitter a lot. And I'm no longer engaged with Twitter the same way that I used to. Both in terms of the way that I behave, what I retweet, what I post. I've changed the way that I use Twitter a lot. Instagram. I just enjoy it. It's become too much. Before, initially, the, the irony was that before I had a book to sell, I would basically, my Instagram was kind of closed. And I'd basically just be like on Instagram, just like shit posting. Do you know what I'm saying? Like taking a piss out of stuff and just talking to friends and stuff like that. But then obviously then, you know, we all become influencers. Then you've got something to sell. So, <laughs> yeah. now, so, so, so now, now, it, now it's far more kind of curated. And I look forward to the day when I can say, do you know what? I'm not saying this book anymore. Back to shit posting. Right. So, um, so yeah, no, no, no. I, I spend a lot of time on it. And also simply because of the nature of the work that I do, it's literally where if I'm trying to interview somebody, you'll message somebody, hey, how you doing? And, you know what I mean? It's like, it, it has the monopoly in terms of as a social space. So actually quite, quite a lot of time. But I do try and delete the Instagram app every now and again for a significant amount of time. And one of the things that I've been doing a lot of recently, in recent years rather, is that I've been reading more books offline. And I think that reading gives you a sense of stillness and also mm -hmm. kind of just removes you from the pace of, of, of social media. But yeah, too much time basically. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of your book, let our listeners know where they can buy the book and if you want them to connect with you online, where they can find you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on all the usual platforms. It's my name, Simeon Brown, S-Y-M-E-O-N Brown. I don't actually know where you can buy it in America. It's a good question. The thing is, is that my... <laughs> That's oh, where I got Am mine. Amazon, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think, well, I'm glad that you can even get it on Amazon in America. I think, yeah, Probably only Amazon. I don't believe that a US publisher has bought the rights. And so it's not been distributed widely. If you're in Australia, though, you're very lucky. It's present in Australia and also India. I get quite a lot of reviews from India, India, Australia, and of course the, the UK. If you ever come to London, it's in all good bookstores here. But yeah, no, no, no. Amazon, there's also what you can read if you're curious. is there are some sample chapters or serializations in the Guardian newspaper. So if you put in the Guardian newspaper, Fashion Over, Simeon Brown, and you can read a, a short extract there. There is a women's magazine here called Gaudem for particularly for see young women and marginalized genders. And they run extracts, kind of the one on Black Lives Matter, here's my cash app, small samples on there as well. So if you're curious, you don't want to commit to the $20 or whatever, you, you can read those things first if you like. If you read the rest. I think possibly the audiobook is an audible. Well, oh, cool. Is that, um, are you the, are you the one doing it? You know it? what? Do you know what? It's actually an actor. Oh, it's actually wow. an actor because there's like, there's lots of accents and things like that. And he's quite, I think he yeah. did a good job. But yeah. I think Is he black? He's black. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 so he sounds black, but I don't know if you guys would hear the blackness because he's not, he's not American. 
Oh, I can tell when people are black and British. Oh, you can tell? Okay. Absolutely. I can tell. I could close my eyes and I would just know. I don't know. There's just a certain tang. Je ne sais quoi. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell anyone who's black, even if Uh, like they may not sound, quote, like whatever the stereotype of black is, like all those like NPR reporters. I'm like, she's black. And then I look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I could tell. All right. Well, in that case, I shouldn't have told you that was the reader was. <laughs> I just like you should let you two people work it out. But yeah, no, he's, he's black. But yeah, no, yeah. And thanks a lot for having me on the podcast. It's been cool. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Yep, our podcast is released every Wednesday and each week we take a deep dive into topics like health at every size, food and culture, intuitive eating, mental health, and body acceptance. If you're looking for a sustainable and inclusive path to wellness, come hang out with us to learn how to take care of yourself from the inside out. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.